How's it going, everyone? My name is Ty Gonzalez, joined by Colby Patnode. This is episode one of the Check 50 podcast, our newest venture, talking about the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know how often we're going to be doing this, uh, what it's ultimately going to look like. Clearly, we don't even have an intro yet. We're just kind of winging it. That's pretty much our MO. But if you're new uh, to us and to the show, um, we host a podcast called Control the Zone, where we cover the Seattle Mariners on a weekly basis on Patreon. Um, we first met um, working at Fansided uh, on the Soto Mojo website, which is the their Seattle Mariners blog. We worked there for a couple years. We ended up having a falling out with them and uh, starting out a starting our. Um, uh, our independent website, truthofthetrident.com, where we write about the Mariners and obviously starting Control the Zone, where we talk about the Mariners. And we decided that, hey, you know, both of us, we uh, we write at Seahawk Maven. I am a reporter uh, and editor, at Seahawk Maven. Uh, Colby also writes at Seahawk Maven under Corbin Smith. Um, so why not, you know, talk about the Seahawks? We, we love talking about the Seahawks off air. We have talked about the, C- the Seahawks quite a bit on Control the Zone as well. Uh, but we wanted to create kind of a space for ourselves to actually, you know, freely talk about the Seahawks as much as we want. So let me introduce Colby real quick. Uh, Colby, uh, you know, for those that are new uh, to uh, to us and the, and the podcast and all of that, um, tell uh, tell tell the folks, you know, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, you know, pretty much what Ty said. Um, I was at uh, SotoMojo.com for about three years, the last two of which I was the editor um, until Ty came in and stole half of my job. Um, <laughs> as co-editor, uh, but uh, yeah, we had, we had a uh, let's call it a disagreement with uh, fan sided. Started our own venture, um, namely the Control the Zone podcast, and it's been great. Um, while I was still at Soto, I did start to write for Twelfth Man Rising, which is the uh, Seahawk website for uh, fan sided. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I just I happen to be applying for a, a job that, interestingly enough, Ty, Ty now has um, about a year before. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the uh, Corbin, our, our editor, our boss, uh, technically at least my boss. I don't know if he's your boss technically. Um, technically, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <is>. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he talked to me. He uh, he wanted me on the writing staff, so I said sure. So I started writing for him. It's been about a year, I believe now. Um, so, uh, yeah. And it's like Ty said, you know, we're both big Seahawk fans. Um, we talk about it often. Um, you know, we, we've been tracking all the moves that have been made so far. We've talked a lot about Russell Wilson behind the scenes and all that stuff. And, uh, we just wanted to, to try a free podcast and kind of see how this works. Maybe learn some stuff or CTZ, maybe, um, you know, have just have a second, second source of income would be great. But for now, it's just, just a place for us to put our Seahawks thoughts, um, kind of separate them from the Mariners thoughts. I, a lot of people are, um, for some reason, not too fond of the idea, uh, of a podcast that focuses on all of Seattle sports. Um, they, they like things separated. So that's what we're doing here. Um, so welcome to, to, uh, check 50. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, some of you have probably already picked up on this, uh, but the name Check 50, of course, comes from Russell Wilson's uh, f- 
famous audible in the uh, NFC Championship game uh, in 2014 against the Packers, where you know they were driving down the field. Obviously, they made that great comeback. The Packers drove down the field, tied things up to send it to overtime. And uh, you know, Russ talks to the offensive coordinator at the time, Daryl Bevel, says, "You know, I think that we can we can hit this check at, at some point." And he ends up calling it on the game-winning touchdown to Jermaine Curse, who was the target of his of Wilson's four interceptions in that game. Uh, pretty incredible story when you really think about how all that game played out, and just what a day that Jermaine Curse had, <laughs> and Russ as well. Uh, just one end of the spectrum to another but that's kind of how we came to uh to this name that's one of um one of the more i don't know i don't know if underrated is necessarily the the proper term for it but it's it's one of those moments in seahawks history that gets talked about but i feel like not enough um it's one of my favorite moments in, in seahawks history by the way guys you know we we write about the team uh we're we're fans of the team as well and that's kind of why we're uh we're making this podcast um, because we're we're excited about you know where this team uh, is. Even though that you know there's been a lot of uh, discourse on on Twitter and all that. There usually is with Seahawks Twitter. It's often not the uh, the best place to be, <laughs> especially uh, after you know Seahawks loss. But uh, we're we're two people that. Uh, are, are optimistic and we're we're happy with the fact that the Seahawks are you know consistently good enough to at least be in the playoffs every year um and we're you know we're happy with that obviously you know we want to see the, the the team win championships as much as everyone else but we're not going to act like the world is ending because they you know and, and completely ignore the fact that they won a division title and went 12 and four this year. So, uh, because you know, those, those are great, great, accompli- uh, great accomplishments. And yeah, the, the end of the season was disappointing to say the least. Um, overall it was a, uh, really fun season, uh, for the Seahawks, uh, and to be a Seahawk fan watching all of it play out. Russell Wilson was the MVP front runner for, you know, the first half of the season, uh, obviously things, you know, fell apart there, but the defense uh, figured things out again and made the, and kept the team competitive despite the offensive, uh, fallback. Uh, uh, so, um, you know, it, it was, you know, they, they, they beat the Rams in that week 16 game and, that you know was uh, was a really big uh, accomplishment for them in winning the division on their home field, especially a year after losing the division on their home field to the 49ers. Uh, so for those moments, uh, 2020 was a really good year in my opinion. Uh, and so to you know tie all things back, we're we're not going to be those people that you know are are, are raining on your parade for for being happy that the Seahawks are good just because they didn't win the Super Bowl or reach their ceiling as as many expected them to. Um, so we're going to keep things fairly optimistic on, on this podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the offseason as a whole because it's been a busy one for the Seahawks. They usually stay quiet through the first you know couple of weeks of uh, free agency. They make some moves here and there, but usually nothing huge. Uh, but they made nine or no 10 transactions now uh with the uh the addition of uh the re-addition of uh jordan simmons today uh so we're gonna just kind of go through all those moves and all the uh the players that they've lost this far which hasn't been a whole lot um mind you uh but just kind of get a overall feel for the uh for the offseason so colby you know 
before we dive into these moves specifically, um, what's your overall take of, of, of the Seahawks offseason thus far? How, how do you feel they've done? Um, exceptionally well. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, you come into the situation and you have, I think, what, right before they released um, Carlos Dunlap, they had $6 million roughly in cap space um maybe less i believe it was actually four yeah yeah so and i think it, it was like two two and a half in effective cap space as well right. so which you consider the yeah. draft picks and the the guys not in the top 51 um yeah it, it, they basically had nothing to spend they had a bunch of um you know really important pending free agents um and they had a lot of holes to fill uh and thus far they've done a really good job of filling those holes. Um, there's still some that remain, but that that's always going to be the case. Um, they've made, uh, they've taken advantage of the seemingly endless supply of cap space. They have in 2022 and 2023, uh, mm-hmm. by manipulating contracts, something that we haven't really seen them do. Uh, so they've done a good job at that. They've been aggressive. They've been smart. They've been, um, you know they've been open to ideas uh let's say from from certain members of of the seahawks hierarchy uh they they've been proactive you know they're finding good fits there's really not much to dislike about what the seahawks are doing right now um maybe you think there's a deal here or there where they gave up a little bit too much money but i i don't really see any egregious overpays i don't really see any bad fits it's it's a really nice job of John Schneider right now. Um, you know, kind of making a lot out of nothing. Uh, it's, there's just not, there's not a lot, there's not a lot to complain about. You know, I mean, it, it's the Seahawks. So people will always find something to complain about. Sure. But mm-hmm. for me, there, there's really not all that much to complain about. Just what two weeks into free agency now is what we are. Um, They've done a good job. I, I just I don't I don't have any issue that all the moves have made sense to me. They've all been, you know, for the most part, I've been really surprised by the bargains they've gotten with some of these guys, and they're good football players. So I think they've done a really nice job early on here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've been uh, on the website. I've been grading uh, all the transactions, and I think uh, right now the um, the average grade for their overall offseason is about an A minus right now. For me, um, I really like a lot of the deals that they made. Obviously, this offseason started with the you know them whiffing on Joe Tooney and Kevin Zeitler, the the two you know two of the biggest guards on the market. Um, you know, and with the pressure from Russell Wilson to improve the offensive line, um, that felt like a massive failure on the on the Seahawks' part. But like you said, they've been aggressive. They've they've reacted well, and what they end up doing is they they get Gabe Jackson in a trade from the Raiders for a fifth round pick, and obviously they they don't have a lot of draft capital to begin with after you know some of the trades that they made for Jamal Adams and Quentin Dunbar, et cetera, Carlos Dunlap. Um, so they only have three draft picks now, but you know they they were able to still make it out of this offseason with a quality veteran. Uh, interior lineman. Uh, Jackson's one of the best, uh, you know, pass protectors out of that spot uh, in the league. <coughs> He's consistently been that. <coughs> They're probably going to move him back, uh, excuse me, uh, back to um, 
left guard, which is where he started his career uh, with the Raiders. He's been at right guard the last few years, but with Damian Lewis there, they're, they're probably uh, going to keep Lewis at, at, at right guard and, and move Jackson to left. And I think that really works out for them. But, you know, overall, I think, you know, that move kind of encaps- encapsulates kind of the, the difference of this offseason for the Seahawks than in years previous. I, I feel like maybe in years past, they lose out on those guys. Apparently, they made the best offer to Zeitler. Uh, but Zeitler wanted to stay in the AFC North. He wanted to stay with the Ravens or not stay with the Ravens, but go to the Ravens um, and play in the uh, AFC North, which is where he started his career with the Browns. Uh, obviously, he went to the to the Giants um, later on, but uh, he wanted to be there. And, and ultimately, you can't follow him for that. But, um, I, you know, I think, again, like in years past, they, you know, something like that would have happened. Uh, the market would have gotten too far away from them. You know, Corey Lindsley was another guy that you and I both kind of hoped that they would they would target. It doesn't seem like they were even in his market uh, before he signed with the Chargers. So, you know, it felt like they were going to come away from this empty handed. They were going to have to make a couple more middling moves like an Austin Blythe or an Alex Mack or something like that. And that just ultimately felt very underwhelming, especially given all the conflict between the organization and Russell Wilson. And it was just hard to imagine how any of the moves that they possibly could make could make Russell happy. Uh, But it seems like the Gabe Jackson trade did. Uh, he seemed pretty fired up about that on Twitter. And, uh, you know, overall, I, I, I think what the Seahawks have done has been a little bit of the best of both worlds because, you know, you, you don't want to completely give in to Russ's demands, right? Because you still have a whole roster to fill out. Um, but it seems like they've they've done a good job of balancing giving Russell what he wants and also working on what the rest of the team needs uh, with, you know, some of the stuff that they've done on defense, especially as of yesterday with Kerry Hyder and uh, Benson Mayoa signings. And, uh, you know, you look at what they've done on offense with Gerald Everett and Gabe Jackson and, you know, bringing back Chris Carson and. Um, all that and you know bringing in you know re-signing Ethan Posick as maybe depth maybe the starting center who knows um, I think they've done a really good job of that of, of kind of handling bo- uh, the you know both sides of the coin yeah I would agree um, you know it's it's kind of interesting to me how Russell all of a sudden became very appreciative of the moves the Seahawks were making after the Bears kind of signed Andy Dalton. Um, it's, it's, it's funny how that works. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, you know, like, like I said, they had a very narrow, you know, uh, margin for error. They had a lot of, of issues they needed to take care of. Um, and it, it appears that they have, it, it's, you know, the, the defense, I, I think the defense is better, which is interesting because, you know, you lose Shaquille Griffin, uh, you have not found a replacement for KJ Wright yet, although Wright's still out there. And we know how important he was to this defense last year. You haven't re-signed Carlos Dunlap. Doesn't appear that they're going to, but it's 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 there's a non-zero chance they get that done somehow. And yet, you know, the defensive line is deeper this year. I believe it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, the linebacking core is still really good. Um, I'm, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm bigger on Jordan Brooks than some other people are. Apparently. Um, I just I question the the um, from a valuation standpoint I question the 
the uh, the idea of putting so much resource at linebacker uh, when you have obvious holes to fill, you know, both in the mm-hmm. front four and in the back four. So a little hesitant about, you know, paying KJ even five or six million at this point, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But I think they're better on defense. I know they're better on offense. And I think, you know, special teams is I coverage is going to be a little bit um, of an issue there. They lose Shaquem Griffin. Although did Shaquem officially sign with Jacksonville yet? Uh, I don't think he has. I, I don't believe he has. Um, they signed Nick Ballore back, which is huge for their special teams. Um, Nico Thorpe, I believe. Yeah, he's technically a free agent still. So Okay, so it's still possible he comes back. He's a big special teamer. Um, but special teams should be just fine anyways. Um, so, yeah, I think the team's better today than they were the day they took on the Rams, um, you know, in their last game of the year. Are they significantly better? No, I, I don't think significantly better. But, you, you know, remember, this team was a 12-4 and four football team last year. And as much as people want to kind of discount a 12-4 and four record, you, you can't. That That's incredibly stupid. Um, it was a good football team last year, and I think they got better. Um, again, still some holes they need to fill. But overall, it's, it's a pretty solid-looking unit in what is going to be a really solid NFC West. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of these deals. Let's go through them in chronological order and in, in the way that they, they all came together. Um, the first move, of course, and, and this kind of goes back to them, you know, reacting well, uh, you know, shortly after uh, Shaquille Griffin signs with the Jaguars and he signs a huge deal. They, they tried to get into that mix um, at the last second to try and retain him, but he ends up making him roughly, you know, 15 million a year. Uh, with the Jaguars, um, but they they go out and they sign Akella Witherspoon, who I you know I really thought th- that would be a uh, interesting fit for them. He's definitely a prototypical sea hockey corner. He's got the arm length, he's got the size. They get him on a one year, four million dollar contract just a few hours after Griffin signs. Um, and this is a guy that you know in week seventeen last year, um, or he, actually technically it was this year. Uh, 2021, I believe it was New Year's Day or a couple days after New Year's, something like, yeah, January second. Uh, who cares? Yeah, uh, but he uh, he played really well against DK Metcalf uh, in that game, and uh, he's he's a guy that has shown uh, spurts of, of of greatness. He's he's dealt with some injuries. He's gotten benched a couple times for some poor play, uh, but last year uh, after he. Uh, after suffering an injury that kept him out for uh, for most of the first half of the season, he ended up earning a 80.9 coverage grade from Pro Football Focus. Um, I believe it was 300 and something snaps uh, that he ended up playing. Uh, so not a, not a ton of action, but he was really good in what he uh, what he did play. So um, you know they obviously had uh, you know a breakout from DJ Reed last year, and he's not really their a prototypical sea hockey corner. He's he's undersized by their standards. He doesn't have the arm length, uh, but he's um, established a starting role at right cornerback for them. Uh, so they needed a guy opposite him. Uh, they obviously have Trey Flowers, who's been incredibly inconsistent. He's in his last year of his rookie deal. So they bring in Weatherspoon to at least compete with Flowers, but it does seem like he has the inside track to starting. Um, so what do you think about the uh, the Witherspoon deal? Yeah, um, 
you have to like it. It's Shaquille mm-hmm. Griffin at 15 million AAV or 13, whatever it ended up being, or Akilla Witherspoon at, at you know, 4 million for one year. It's a no brainer. Witherspoon's the better signing. Um, yeah. It's, you know, been widely reported at this point that Seattle really liked Witherspoon coming out of the draft. Same draft class as Griffin. Um, Witherspoon went early third. Shaquille went, or Shaquille went late third. So Seattle didn't really have a shot to get him. It would have been interesting to see what they would have done, you know, if they were both on the board. Um, might they have taken Witherspoon, Witherspoon over Griffin? I think they probably would have. Um, you know, arm length is good. The, the straight line speed is good. Not not a great, you know, agility. Not 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 great. Uh, not a guy you want to play inside, but that's fine. You're not signing him to be an inside guy. Um, you know, he's there to compete with Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers has been available, which is something Witherspoon has not always been. Uh, but Witherspoon's just a better, he's a better coverage guy than Trey Flowers, who I think is a little bit underrated. I'm not saying that Trey Flowers is a great player, but I think he's a serviceable, you know, corner, um, which isn't nothing. And I, I think he can help you. And we have seen times where he'll go, you know, four weeks, four to six weeks where he looks good. And then, yep. you know, the wheels kind of come off. So um, I, I wouldn't write off Trey Flowers completely here, but these two guys are battling for the same spot. It's also worth noting that DJ Reed could slide inside where he does mm. fit the measurables of a nickel corner for Seattle. Um, and he would be just fine there too. Of course, they have Ugo Amadi in nickel right now, but it's Marquise never a Blair. bad yeah, it, it's never a bad thing to have extra corners, particularly if they're good. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I still would like to see them add another guy, either via the draft or free agency. Yep. Um, somebody with a little bit higher probability, let's say, than Witherspoon staying healthy or Trey Flowers taking the next step. But if this is the room that they go into next year with, they should be in pretty good shape. DJ Reed really balled out last year. Um, and Witherspoon checks all the boxes. He just needs to stay healthy. Um, and I think a big key to this is, is that Witherspoon played for Robert Salah, who, you know, Pete Carroll system, um, you know, so he, he's familiar with the kick step and all that stuff. So um, he should be able to slide right in and know the scheme pretty much right away, which should help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they might be able to uh, reunite with Richard Sherman, perhaps. He said that he's uh, open to it. He's open to, he's open to it. Um, the Seahawks right now don't have any money to, to pull that off. Uh, but we've been saying that for the last few days and have been waiting for some sort of corresponding move to open up more cap space. But they just keep signing guys. They've signed three guys since, uh, since their deal with Chris Carson, which on over the cap put them over the cap the cap <laughs> um, and, um, and that uh that does not include their deal with gerald gerald everett which we're going to talk about in a few here but um they're going to need to make at least a, a one move here to get back within the legal standing um and right. probably more if i mean because they still have some needs to fill right they they have plenty of levers to pull there. They can yeah. open up. You know, I've seen conflicting reports on this. I thought it was twelve million by converting Russell's salary to a bonus, um, but I've seen some people say up to seventeen million they could get back out mm-hmm. of that. Um, they could do the. Uh, they could extend Jaron Reed or Tyler Lockett. They could mm-hmm. trade one of those two guys. They could extend Jamal Adams or or um, mm-hmm. 
uh, Quandre Diggs. Uh, yep. One other thing they could do, although it's not going to clear a lot of space, but I, I just throwing this out there randomly now. I would not be shocked. I, I would not be shocked if the Seattle Seahawks trade um, Rashad Penny. Uh, we know teams mm. have reached out in the past, interested in him. Um, but yeah, Seattle, I the Lions did right. Yes, the Lions offered a third round pick. Probably should have taken that, um, but uh, they didn't. So, uh, you know, and obviously Patricia's in New England now, but New England does have a need at running back. You know, we know they're interested in Fournette. Uh, there are other teams that could use Rashad Penny. So just they were interested in uh, they were in, they were in Chris Carson's market, right? So just a name to watch. Uh, I think it would only clear about a million bucks. So, so it's not mm-hmm. it's not if you trade Chris or if you trade Penny, it's not about clearing payroll so much as it is about just trying to reacquire a pick but the trading of of tyler lockett would clear i think 12 million dollars jaron reed's mm-hmm. trade would clear about 9 million i believe um and you know I'm there's also, always the outside. i'm also wondering i'm also wondering sorry but i'm also no, wondering if the uh if they can convert uh, or if they can move some of gabe jackson's nine and a half million dollar cap hit to next year as well they can yeah. Uh, they they could clear about four million dollars. They can restructure his contract. His cap it would go from nine point five to about five point five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then next year you can cut him with just I believe I I don't think you would actually cost you anything to cut him in twenty twenty two if you wanted to. So, um, yeah, they have plenty of levers to pull. They can create any space they want. And one thing guys should know by now, and if you're listening to a, a brand new Seahawk podcast, you're probably pretty you know well versed in how this works the salary cap is a myth i mean it's there to give fans the illusion that there's limits to what teams can do but there's really not i mean there's no shortage of options for the mayor or for the mayor for the seahawks to pull here um so if they want to sign richard sherman if they find a number that works they can get that done they could do that with carlos dunlap they could do that with alden smith that money is not a legitimate excuse um for the seahawks not to continue to add um, mm. so if, if the deal's right on Richard Sherman in particular, um, they, they very well may consider it despite the addition of, of a kilo witherspoon. Yeah. And plus, you know, you look at how the salary cap is expected to significantly mm-hmm. increase over the next decade. Um, you know, with the new TV deal that's going to be put in place in I believe 2023, um, there's going to be a ton of money. The, 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 the Seahawks were already set to have a lot of, uh, cap over space hundred million with next year. Yeah. They were, they were one of the highest teams or the highest team in terms Number of cap one. space next year. Uh, so you know they they have a lot to work with and so that's why you're seeing them push some of these deals and push some of these cap hits to future years it's just, it's the smartest way to go about it especially for a team in the Seahawks current financial position um you know you've been seeing the, the you know with their last three deals with Carson and and Hyder and uh and Mayoa the void uh, the void years on the mm-hmm. third year uh, Mayo has got two of those uh, for 2023 and 2024, uh, reportedly. Um, you know, and those those uh, cap hits in general already are low, and those base salaries are pretty low for the first you know couple of years that they are actually going to play on those contracts. 
so you, you got to imagine that those cap hits are going to be even smaller, especially for Hyder and and uh, Mayoa, which haven't been reported yet. But they're filling out their roster and not taking on a huge amount of cap space. I believe Chris Carson's cap hit in 2021 is just two and a half million dollars. And yes. for one of the best running backs in the league, that's an incredible value uh, no matter how you feel about running backs uh he uh th- that's just when you look at you know the the deal that aaron jones just signed and some of the other deals that some of the top running backs in the league have signed and carson has been incredibly underrated uh around the league um, by fans by by critics alike all that um, so to get that kind of value is, was huge. Um, so let, let's continue along uh, these these additions, though, um, in order. So at the the night after or few hours after they signed Witherspoon or maybe a couple hours, I, I forget exactly. But they uh, they also were reported to come to a two year agreement with Puna Ford, who was a restricted free agent. Um, they had until the actual start of free agency. This was last Tuesday, the night before free agency officially started. They had until the start of free agency to tender him. I, uh, they were expected to place a second round tender on him, but instead they give him a little bit more money in 2021 than he would have gotten on the second round tender. And they lock him down for 2022 as well, which is huge because, you know, you look at their defensive tackle group, Jaron Reed's on the last year of his deal they like Brian Monet and Cedric Lattimore, but they don't necessarily know what they have with either one of those guys yet. They don't know if they're going to be able to be long-term pieces with this team. Um, they didn't have really any long-term established long-term options at the position. Uh, so locking down Ford for 2022, especially, you know, in a year that he was probably going to get priced out. I mean, obviously they have a ton of, uh, of, cap for next year so they could have been able to match that but who knows you know i i think locking down that that second year with ford was a huge get for them i think it makes a lot of sense for him as well because it allows them to hit free agency at the prime age of 27 and uh you know and that's of course if they they don't give him a bigger payday um before that but you know, I, I'm looking at my grade right now that I, I gave that deal. That is the only A plus that I gave the Seahawks uh, thus far, and I think it's just it's a perfect deal for both sides. Yeah, I think it actually ends up saving Seattle um, about 500k against the cap, mm-hmm. if, as opposed to if they put the second round tender on him. But essentially, what they did is they placed the second round tender on him um, and then gave him another year at. It's really kind of a similar price. deal to what to what we see in baseball with prospects and buying an extra year uh, for these guys of, of team control. Um, it's obviously a much more short, shorter term uh, type of deal than than what we see in baseball with younger prospects. Those are usually six, seven year deals, whatever. But you know that's kind of the the idea here. You're you're buying a year of free agency by giving him a little bit more than he would have gotten initially this year and give him an opportunity to you know build up his uh his market even more following the 2022 season yep it's um it's really just about finding value and seattle gets him for you know at least two more years as opposed to the one it's it's a classic win-win deal here puna gets some guaranteed money up front we know how fragile the the life of football players are um, their careers can end just like that. So Puna gets a little more security. Seattle gets an extra year. 
uh, from a player that they clearly love. And uh, they do that without really impacting the cap at all, either negatively or positively. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win for everybody involved. And it's a big one for Seahawks fans because Puna Ford is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Fan favorite. Um, great personality. By the way, guys, at Seahawk Maven, our uh, Ariana Prasad and, and Hannah Hoover interviewed him um, in January. He was great interview uh so if you guys want to check that out um i suggest doing so uh so the the next move the next day uh officially the first day of free agency the seahawks gave russell wilson a much needed uh target uh weapon at um tight end with gerald everett who follows Andy Dickerson, the new run game coordinator for the for the Seahawks coming from Los Angeles. He follows Shane Waldron, the new offensive coordinator, who was the Rams tight ends coach in 2017. Um, he was their passing game coordinator the last three years. So a lot of familiarity here with Everett. Uh, and he's a guy that has kind of been shadowed, uh, overshadowed by Tyler Higby in that offense. And obviously, you know, they have Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and they've had Brandon Cooks in the past and Josh Reynolds, they've had a lot of, lot of weapons there and, um, you know, ever ended up becoming, you know, more of a fourth, fifth option in that offense, but he's an athletic freak pretty much. And, uh, he, he's made the most of his opportunities. He's never gotten more than uh, 430 yards in a season, but you know, he's a guy that can run uh really good routes and win in the middle of the field which is something that they desperately needed because i mean you know you look at some of the offensive struggles last year obviously you know you look at uh, the fault of the the offensive line with some of the injuries they experienced you look at russell wilson playing a little more skittish and and kind of ignoring wide open receivers at times uh trying to push the ball down the field a little too much uh with metcalf and lock it down the field and but you know ultimately for me the biggest problem was a lack of a dependable tertiary receiving option behind metcalf and lock it david moore got off to a really good start to the year but then he completely fell off the greg olson signing was an absolute disaster jacob hollister was still solid um, and pretty much was their tertiary receiving option behind Metcalf and Lockett for a while, but that was not the type of uh, the type of threat that they needed. Uh, Hollister is solid, but he there's a very clear cap on what his capabilities are. Um, Will Disley, um, you know, didn't didn't bounce back the the, the way that they hoped. Um, you know, obviously he was able to play the full season, but from a receiving standpoint, he was nowhere near where he had been the, the last two years, at least in terms of production. Uh, Colby Parkinson hurt his foot, so he hardly played his rookie year. He only had two catches. Both of those came in the Jets game, uh, which was a blowout. Uh, so, you know, I they had been in the market for Jono Smith. He ends up getting a huge deal with the Patriots. They had checked in on Zach Ertz it was pretty clear that they were going to be heavily targeting the tight end position. And Everett was a guy that always made sense because of the connection to Waldron, because of the connection to Dickerson, just because the Seahawks clearly really appreciate what the, what the Rams have been able to do over the last few years. And they kind of want a little piece of that. And Everett's a guy who, you know, it's a one year, $6 million deal. And honestly, I, I'm kind of bummed out that it's not a longer deal because I feel like Everett's a guy that, 
may end up playing well beyond his contract this year and end up getting a huge deal on the market, um, which is great for him, but bad for the Seahawks in terms of having to give up more money uh, in the end. But um, there's an incredibly high ceiling here with Everett, I believe. he's he's He fits exactly what this offense needed. They needed to win in the middle field, and he gives that to them. And he can also do a bunch of other you know interesting things. He can work on screens, and they've done some uh, fly sweep stuff and all of that with him uh, in the past in, in Los Angeles. And I assume with Waldron coming over, they're going to do you know a little bit of the same. He's also not that bad of a blocker. He's actually improved as a blocker over the last couple of years. So all around, I'm... Uh, this might be the the one move that I am the most pumped up about. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. You kind of you kind of see the number at first, and you go, "Ooh, six million. That's, I mean, that that's not chump change here for a guy who's been a number two tight end his entire career." Um, and then you kind of you kind of read up on him a little bit, and, and uh, you see Kyle Rudolph gets what did what did Rudolph get? Four million a year. Um, he got eight million a year. I believe it was two years, $16 million. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, it's, and you, you look at, you look at the deal that they gave Greg Olson last year, which was one year, $7 million. Seven, yep. Yeah. So, it's, so it's a really good deal. I, Gerald Everett is, you know, he's not your typical Seahawks. He's kind of Jacob Hollister esque, but bigger, um, probably a little bit faster too. Uh, the one thing that that Everett does, or the thing that Everett does best, is yards after the catch. He really creates, which is pretty rare for a tight end. Um, it's more and more common in today's NFL, but it's still pretty rare for a tight end to to create as many yards as he does. Um, you know, very fast for his size, good hands. Can kind of you can kind of use him all over the place. You mentioned they've even given him the ball a couple of times on jet sweeps. Uh, he plays in the slot. He can line up. Uh, you know, you can be an inline tight end if you need him to. Um, and he's just a really good compliment, I think, with Will Disley. I think we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets we kind of already have. We know how much Russell Wilson likes to throw to his tight end. Even though last year, you know, there was the, you know, the bloated corpse of Greg Olson and, and uh, you know, Will Disley trying to play essentially on one leg. Um, and Jacob Hollister, who I think was kind of improperly used. Um mm-hmm because I didn't, I didn't see a significant decrease in his skill set that he showed in 2019 when Hollister was, you know, the number three wide receiver. So I, I think he was a little bit under you underutilized. Um, but you, you kind of add all those guys numbers up and, and it was still, you know, 70 catches, 600 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you're going to see Everett do all of that by himself. Disley still there. They still really like Colby Parkinson. So um, Everett's not going to be asked to carry the load, but he's going to be more of a, um, he's going to be more of the, uh, who's the Rams tight end now? Um, The scumbag. Uh, Tyler Higby. uh, Tyler Higby. Yeah, he's going to be the Tyler Higby to uh, Will Disley and Colby Parkinson kind of being the Gerald Everett to just, you know, use a, a scenario you guys might be familiar with. So Everett, really good hands, catches the ball, creates... Um, bigger body knows the Shane Waldron offense very well. I, it was it was a slam dunk. I, I I honestly would have been shocked if he had signed elsewhere. Um, Seattle had a need. They had the money. They had the offensive coordinator who is very familiar with him. And you know it's interesting. I saw a lot of people talking about how um, Jared Goff is really 
not a good shotgun passer. He's he's not comfortable in shotgun. Um, Russell Wilson, however, is you know primarily passing out of the shotgun, um, and that apparently will help uh, Gerald Everett get more looks. Uh, not a huge X's and O's guy, so I don't know how to explain that. But when smart people tell me that that's the case, I'm going to believe them. So I think Everett is a really good fit for Russell Wilson, and obviously he's a very good fit for Shane Waldron's offense. So. Um, it's it appears to be a home run uh, of a deal for for Seattle and for Everett. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so the, the you know they make uh, another big move the same day. Uh, we talked a little bit about this at the top. You know they 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 lose out on Zeitler. They lose out on Tooney. They end up getting Gabe Jackson from the Raiders, who you know for a while there we all kind of thought had already been released by the Raiders. There was a report saying that they were going to cut him. The same thing with happened with uh, their center, Rodney Hudson. Uh, there was a report that said that he had been released. Turned out he wasn't. He ended up getting traded to the Cardinals for a third round pick. And uh, I believe it was same day uh, that yep. the Seahawks uh, traded for Gabe Jackson. Uh, now, um, you know the the one downside to this um, is that they did have to give up the first round pick, um, which I mean you know they they only had four picks to begin with. Uh, now they have three: uh, second rounder, fourth rounder, seventh rounder. Um, so you know that stings, uh, but ultimately you know as I said earlier, they get a guy that is going to make Russell Wilson happy. He's not necessarily a scheme fit um, for you know what we kind of had assumed Waldron was going to implement with the wide zone running, but you get the you get the talent right. You, you get the talent. Mm-hmm. You worry about everything else later. They needed the talent. That's what it ultimately breaks down to here, and that's and that's what they get. And Jackson is one of the you know better uh, pass protectors. Uh, interior pass protectors in the league right now. Uh, he comes on a two-year deal, uh, so they have him pass this year. This is exactly what they needed to do. Uh, when they had no other options on the market, when they were basically faced with a re- reality of having to settle for Austin Blythe and Forrest Lamp and some of those guys, um, they ended oh, up... Oh, you know, there. Yeah, they they ended up, you know, uh, targeting Jackson here and mm-hmm. and uh, raising their their floor and their ceiling uh, a bit in the interior offensive line and left guard was such a a huge uh, you know hole for them last year. Mikey Apati was really good in the first half, but then he got hurt once again. He's all you know he's gotten hurt a lot over the last few years and he's ultimately retired now uh after the season but you know once his injuries came back into play and jordan simmons had to rotate in and out that's what kind of started the uh the 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 downfall of the uh, seahawks offensive line which you know not entirely you know within their control of course uh, but you know you saw the the negative impact that not having something stable at or not having s- stability at left guard could have you know when they play the ramps right and you know you look around the NFC West you look at the defensive lines that the NFC West poses uh, especially the Rams with Aaron Donald obviously they lose Bro- uh, Michael Brockers in a trade to uh, to Detroit but 
Um, you need to win in, in, in the trenches to win in the NFC West. You absolutely have to do that. And, you know, getting a couple of guys on, on, you know, some middling deals like a, you know, like a Blythe, like a lamp, like, you know, one of those names that just wasn't going to cut it. And, uh, you know, so, so they had to make this move. Mm-hmm. They had to, they had to make this move. Yeah. I mean, don't forget about the Brett Jones era that lasted about 12 hours. Um, <laughs> it, um, it's a good move. Um, it's certainly one that was exciting for Russell Wilson. They're not getting prime Gabe Jackson here, um, which, I mean, yeah, that, that's typically how it works. You don't usually trade for players who are in their prime, uh, not for a fifth-round pick at least. So uh, they're, they're not getting prime Gabe Jackson here, but he's still a good pass defender. Um, he still moves pretty well. This is is kind of a more of a Mike Solari type of guy than it is a... Um, you know, Shane Waldron or Andy Dickerson type of guy, um, at least just on paper. Uh, he's bigger, um, a little more, I, he, he's fine. He, he can move, right? He can, he can, you can still run your stretch plays and all that stuff. Um, he's not going to be a, an issue in the run game. Um, but he's brought in to protect Russ from, you know, in interior pass rush. Um, I, I don't think Seattle necessarily, um, is done. In free agency, I, I think if you can get Blythe or you can get Forrest Lamp or you can get um, or Brett Jones, if you can get any of those guys for a million, two million bucks, you might consider it because, again, they're valuable depth to have. And maybe they could play center. Maybe you slide, uh, maybe you slide Damian Lewis into center and you have a new right guard. Maybe you slide Lewis into center and you put Gabe Jackson back at right guard and you need a new left guard. Uh, there, there's still some versatility here. So um, I wouldn't say they're done for sure, but they went out and they got the best guy they could. Now I would have given Kevin Zeiler a little bit extra to sign with me, but we don't know. Maybe they did that and he just wanted to be in Baltimore. Um, maybe that they, is apparently what happened. From right. What so, heard, so at the end of the day, you have to be, the other guy has to be willing to sign with you. Um, and it just doesn't sound like that was the case. So uh, they got the best guy they could. Um, you mentioned he has two years of control, but if you don't like what you see this year, uh, you can cut him next year without any dead cap space. Um, so it's it's a good deal. It's it's not it's not a great deal. Um, again, it's not prime Gabe Jackson. I would give it like a B, B plus. But when you can kind of consider what the other options were at the time, it's it's a pretty good get for John Schneider. Yeah, I gave it an A minus. Um, just. Mm-hmm. Mostly for the, for the sole fact that they, you know, they prove that they will go to, you know, fairly great lengths to, you know, make Russell happy. And, uh, you know, and also just the, the accomplishment of, of actually, you know, properly addressing the line. You know, they over the last few years, some of the moves that they made have been, you know, middle tier free agents kind of banking on, you know, it's kind of, you know, for those of you that are listening that are also Mariners fans, it was kind of, like how the Mariners were trying to fill out the rest of their roster when they had Nelson Cruz and Robin Skinno, et cetera. You know, they're mm-hmm. instead of going out and getting that one good piece that they need, they trade for, you know, Ryan Healy, et cetera, and hope that they can just bank on one of those guys reaching their, their ceiling. Um, and so, you know, I think getting Jackson is kind of like getting that one guy that you really need. Um, you know, I, I don't think it, it necessarily means Super Bowl now, but 
Um, I think you're in a lot better position than you were the last few years uh, at left guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with Iapati, who, again, was really good when he was healthy, but he just wasn't healthy enough. And right. Jordan Simmons Same thing has, dealt with in, has dealt with injuries, etc. He's been good at times, but when it comes to you know playing against the Aaron Donalds of the world, it doesn't necessarily work out for him. No, it doesn't necessarily work out for most people that for play against guys, Aaron Donald. But, yeah. <laughs> but most teams don't have to deal with him two times a year. Yeah. Um. So you know they 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 also re-signed Nick Belor. Uh, we don't need to get you know too deep into that because he's he's primarily going to be a special teamer. But he he did earn Pro Bowl honors last year uh, as a, a special team. teamer. Yeah, in his tenth year, he's he's definitely been a uh, key piece to that that turnaround. Obviously, Larry Izzo taking over as the interim coordinator uh, really helped with that. Um, and the special teams, honestly, you can make an argument that was their most improved unit last year. Yeah, uh, it was. Also, I mean, it, it was it was never an issue for them. Nope. Uh, so not once. Uh, yeah. Um, so you know that's a that's a solid deal. Uh, he's still listed as a fullback. Technically, you know he Whatever. barely saw the field as a fullback uh, with under Brian Schottenheimer. With Shane Waldron, it's probably going to be even less. Less. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they also re-signed Ethan Posick to a one-year, three million dollar deal. That cap hit, I think, shakes out to one and a half million dollars, maybe two. I've seen two at times. I've seen one and mm-hmm. a half, uh, but. Um, you know, this is a guy that that was really solid for them last year at, at times. Um, he he First definitely half. proved he could he could at least handle the position um, fairly well and not entirely kill them at least until the end of the season uh, when they played against the Rams. Uh, his two worst games by far came in uh, Week 16 and the wild card game against the Rams. He really struggled in those games. Um, he didn't play in the first Rams game on the road. Uh, Kyle Fuller took over for him. He was hurt. Um, but yeah, those two home games against the Rams were not great for Posick. I kind of felt, you know, and, and one of the biggest reasons that I was surprised by this is that when Russell made his comments um, about the line, especially on the Dan Patrick show, I almost kind of felt like he was singling Posick out. Because uh, Posick had an awful game in that wildcard game. He was one of the biggest reasons that, um, you know, Russell was constantly under pressure. He was at fault for that play where Russ missed the bomb to DK Metcalf. Um, it just, it wasn't a great end um, to the year for Posick. And I just felt like that wasn't going to happen if they were really serious about making Russ happy, I felt like there was a little bit of bad blood there maybe between Russ and, and Post. Like, that's not based on anything I've heard. That's just speculation. Uh, but right. it was a little bit surprising to see Posick back, but it, it, it makes sense. It's not a huge deal. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, It's not a lot of money. The cap hit is virtually nothing to the Seahawks, uh, even with their current situation. Um, it doesn't necessarily guarantee him a starting spot. And if so, you know, if they do draft a starting center or they they do get one of these remaining guys out there, maybe it is Austin Blythe. Has Austin Ryder signed yet? I do not believe so. 
So, you know, they, they, they have options out on the market. And like you said, you know, they, they can make things happen with the cap still. So that's not necessarily an issue if they do want to get one of those guys. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and if they do, then, uh, then POSIC as depth is actually really good. That's actually a really damn good deal for them. And if he is a starter, you could do worse. You could definitely do worse. I mean, this is a team that has started, you know, Joey Hunt <laughs> a considerable amount of times at center uh, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Ryder is still a free agent. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's a deal. It's a deal that doesn't preclude you from doing anything. So it's. Yeah. And if he's a backup guard, then you're fine. Paying $3 million for a guy who can play all three interior spots. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. And maybe um, some tackle. They've, they've talked about yeah, that a little yep. bit. Yeah. He's got some versatility. So um, I think uh, Ryder is, is probably the best guy. If you're, if you're not going to go in the draft and it's a pretty good class for centers, it's worth pointing that out. But Ryder yeah. is six, three, you know, 300 pounds. Um, won't turn 30 until late in the year. Uh, he's, you know, he's more of a center that, that he's a good center, but also he, the polling and, and he does all that stuff really well. He can move pretty well. So, um, you know, that, that'd probably be the guy, but I think Seattle's probably going to address this in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you on that. And I think that was kind of the, the, the idea that I always had for, for them addressing the offensive line. I, I think it was pretty clear that you were only going to be able to spend big on one of the two interior spots that you had open. Um, yeah. They obviously made their decision there with, with Gabe Jackson and they're probably putting him in left guard. So centers now that spot. And, you know, I think it's fine bringing in Posick as a, as a fallback plan and um, filling out the, the, you know the position uh possibly at, at you know relatively high in the draft um could uh could definitely work for them uh so uh last deal from last week chris carson three-year uh 24.6 million dollars technically it's a two-year deal uh and the uh i believe it's $10 million in that third year, which is, is voidable. He will not see that third year. The The Seahawks are not going to pay that. Actually, I believe it was $12 million, um, on that deal. I, I'm going to have to check that. Um, but basically, you know, what it ultimately breaks down to here is a two-year deal for Chris Carson. The cap hit in 2021 is just $2.5 million. That is, as I said at the top of the show, insane value for Chris Carson um, say what you will about running backs um, I'm I definitely understand the running backs don't matter group uh, to a to a degree um, I do believe that there are just you know some instances where you can plug and play most guys and you'll be fine and at least be able to establish a uh, solid run game but you also need a really good offensive line to do that and the Seahawks even with the upgrade with Jackson still you know they might need some work on the on the line so i think you know it was really strange to hear uh pete carroll after the season say we need to establish the run more when his two top rushers from last year were set to be unrestricted free agents and they didn't really have a clear path to keeping either one right uh, obviously carlos hyde uh, goes early in free agency to the Jaguars. That was pretty much expected. It wasn't like he he signed an enormous an, an enormous deal that they couldn't have matched, but it just felt with 
Rashad Penny coming back, and now he's pretty much at full health. And they have DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, and they re-signed Alex Collins, who who showed a lot at towards the end of the season. Just seemed like they were heading for this running back by committee uh, scenario, um, which again made the comments from from Pete a little weird. Um, you know, with with wanting to establish the run, but it, it, I think there was at least. You, you could see how that may be able to work, especially in a new scheme. And you have uh, running backs who, who do fit that scheme well, uh, especially Penny running out of, you know, uh, when you know, Russ is on, uh, you know, running out of single back and, um, you know, running those those outside zone stretches and all that. But um, I just felt like if they could do it, it seemed very unlikely that they were going to be able to land Carson again. Um, it seemed like there was going to be a lot of interest in him after Aaron Jones signed. There was, you know, he was pretty much the, the top back on the market. Uh, but it just, it seems like the market did not play out anywhere close to what he was expecting, unfortunately for him. But um, the Seahawks end up taking advantage here. And now all the worries that I had about their running back group have gone away. Uh, he's obviously dealt with some injuries, but for the most part, Carson has been a, an exceptional running back. He's by far the most underrated running back in the league, in my opinion. Um, you know, the fact that I don't see him ever in like top 10 consideration or anything like that to me is ridiculous. He is one of the few running backs in this league that I believe transcends the situation around him, no matter what it is. He has that kind of talent. He is freakishly physical plus athletic uh, enough to win in uh, open space, make guys miss. He's elusive, but he can also, you know, lay the boom similarly to Marshawn Lynch. Obviously he's not Marshawn Lynch, but he has that kind of style. Plus he, he has that athleticism and that speed to go along with it. He is a really unique back. He's developed well as a pass catcher out of the backfield. They, they utilize him really well with that last year. Um, I'm super pumped about this Chris Carson deal and bringing him back, especially at that number. Yeah, to me, this is my favorite move of the offseason so far. Um, to get Chris Carson at a cap hit of, I believe, two and a half million this year. Yeah, um, is a steal. You're, you're the cap hit to Chris mm-hmm. Carson is less than the cap hit to Rashad Penny. Um, mm-hmm. That that's insane. Chris Carson is one of the you know, 10 to 12 best running backs in the NFL. Um, obviously, you know, those guys tend to not get paid. So it's, it sucks for him, but it's good for Seattle. Um, you know, it's a win-win at the end of the day, this deal could be as little as one year, 5.5 million. And that 5.5 million, that cap hit is spread over two years. So it's at the end of the day, this is a nothing deal. It's bringing in a, you know, a, a pro bowl, you know, a running back um, who also, as you mentioned, really good in the in the uh, passing game, um, is bringing that guy back for a two and a half million dollar cap hit. Why do you? Why would you be mad at that? It doesn't make sense to me. The only thing I care about this year is what's the year one cap hit. Like, I, I don't I don't care if it's you know you paid a running back two years at whatever twelve million dollars or whatever it is. Yeah, nice. but what was the year one cap hit this year? Oh, two and a half, and next year it's going to be eight or whatever when the salary cap is going to jump up by $40 million. Oh no. 
you know, it, it's it's just a great move. There, there's no downside of this whatsoever. You brought back Alex Collins. You brought you have Rashad Penny coming back and healthy. You're going to have a healthy Travis Homer, which I you know definitely is going to help, uh, particularly on third downs. And you still have DJ Dallas, you know, floating around. So um, Seattle's uh, running back situation pretty much the same as it was last year, and that that's good because Seattle was running. Seattle's running game last year was not an issue. Um, it was more than good enough the pretty much the entire year. So uh, it's it's a great deal, and it's you know one of my favorite players is coming back, and uh, I'm always going to like that. It seems like the Seahawks always like this offseason have gone out of their way to make my uh, my articles, uh, my my editorials irrelevant as possible, as quick as possible. <laughs> because yesterday morning I wrote about their need for pass rush. Uh, and not letting that fall by the wayside again, because you know, last couple of years they've they've let that linger for too much, and last year especially they saw you know what neglecting um, their pass rush, you know, what kind of negative impact that could have in the first half. They were historically bad on on defense. The you know obviously there were some injuries in the secondary, but not being able to get to the quarterback pretty much at all was a huge factor in that, and uh, you know. Th- they made moves for Benson Mayo. They they got Bruce Irvin in there last year. Bruvin, uh, Irvin gets hurt. They, you know, they drafted uh, Daryl Taylor. They even tra- you know traded up in the draft to take him. He gets hurt and he's not, or well, he remained hurt and didn't play the whole season. And it just, it was it it, it was rough. I didn't uh, I didn't want to see them get back to that to that spot. And then lo and behold. You know, a few hours later, they they signed Mayoa, uh, they re-signed Mayoa, and they uh, signed Kerry Hatter Jr. to a three-year deal as well. Um, you know, when they released Carlos Dunlap, obviously that that ended up being a move that they kind of had to make by freeing up fourteen million dollars. Uh, you know, all all of his cap hit uh, for twenty twenty one. You know, Dunlap was a guy that that basically changed the whole face of that defense once he came in. Um, his I believe he had five and a half sacks or five sacks uh, with Seattle last year. And, uh, you know, that opened up more opportunities for guys like Benson Mayoa, who had an excellent finish to the season. Um, you know, it opened up more opportunities for guys like Colton Robinson, um, LJ Collier. Uh, but that was a move that they ended up, ended up having to make, but it also ended up proving costly for them because it opened up a wide hole at defensive end um mayo of course being a free agent as well i mean that left lj collier alton robinson rasheem green and daryl taylor um they needed to do something as a position uh and so they they get a couple uh really intriguing pieces here both both of these guys uh combined for 14 and a half sacks last year like i said mayo really came on to the uh at the end of the season uh last year uh you know, both in the run game and uh, from a pass rushing standpoint, he had 20 of his 36 uh, pressures in the uh, the second half of the season. Uh, four of his six sacks also came after Dunlap arrived. Um, he, you know, he's proven that he he's not a lead dog um, by any stretch of the imagination, but he can really succeed in a rotational role. Um, get the get the Seahawks a few sacks and, and most importantly at least get consistent pressure 
on the quarterback. Um, I think he's more than capable of doing that, um, playing, you know, half of the snaps or whatever it may be. Right now, he's probably the starting Leo. Um, we'll see how that shakes out with with Daryl Taylor, and we'll see if they they still make a reunion with Dunlap or you know sign an Alton uh, Alden Smith or someone like that. But um, this was a necessary move. It, it ultimately felt like a matter of when, not if. Um, but uh, the deal comes down to uh, it's technically a four year deal. Uh, but it's going to be a two-year, eight and a half million dollar contract at the end of things. Um, the last two years on the deal are avoidable, and uh, they are most likely going to be doing that. Especially Mayo is going to be playing in his age thirty season. I just don't see them uh, carrying carrying a thirty-four-year-old Benson Mayo. Yeah, no, it's it's not going to happen. Um, still waiting for full details on that. Um, Mm-hmm. On both deals, actually. Yep. Um, so, still not 100% There's on that There's more information one. on Hyder. There's more information yes. on Hyder than Mayo. The, the, the last two years on Mayo's deal, like the numbers on that, haven't, haven't been reported as far as I'm aware. Right. No, I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, these are, these are great, great deals. Um, you know, it's Mayo, uh, like you said, probably, probably the starting Leo right now. Um, yeah. Alton Robinson definitely flashed last year. Uh, we'll have to see what Taylor does um, in really what is a, a redo of his rookie season. Obviously, Seattle thinks very, very highly of him. Um, so there's a potential there for a nice little rotation. Then over at the five tech, you're probably going to have um, Hyder and then LJ Collier and Rasheem Green are going to be guys who are going to be in there. And, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, could, is it possible that Collier moves inside and, uh, right. and could this move be a pretext to, uh, to the, could the Hyder edition be a pretext to trading, uh, Jaron Reed, uh, which is certainly a possibility because you can just move Hyder inside. Um, you have Puna Ford, you have C- Cedric Lattimore, you have, uh, Brian Monet, you kind of have your three tech, you have your nose. Um, so there's a lot of depth to this line, not a top dog yet. Um, Seattle going to get one. Eh, probably not. Um, Dunlap's still out there, uh, which is a good sign for Seattle. Uh, but again, Seattle, you know, kind of running out of, of options um, for guys to restructure, although they haven't announced any of them yet. So we'll see what they want to do. I, I still think that there's a trade coming and I think it's probably going to be Jaron Reed, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's Tyler Lockett. And if you see a deal like that go through, then all of a sudden a guy like Jadavion Clowney who visited the Browns today, but left without a deal. Maybe he's interesting. Um, certainly, you know how versatile he is. Maybe a guy like Alden Smith, who we know the Seahawks really liked last year. Maybe he can come in and rush the passer. Um, you know, and obviously guys like Dunlap, there's still some options out there for for a pretty good, you know, defensive end. But this is kind of a, you know, this is a wolf pack mentality. It's it's a leg, the legs feed the wolf. Um, fresh legs equal more kills or more sacks. So they're going to be in a rotation. They're going to have to, you know, figure out how that works. Obviously, they're going to continue to blitz Jamal Adams. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how they make all these, uh, all these 
you know, pieces work together and how they're going to fit this rotation in. But I like, I prefer that method versus the let's play for, let's pay Frank Clark $20 million and have nothing around him. And just, you know, one guy's going to get 14 sacks and the other guys we hope can get, you know, three each or whatever. I, I prefer the, Hey, let's, let's get six sacks a piece guys. You know what I mean? Just let, let's yeah. obviously you want that guy who can come in and dominate a game, but I, depth is so important in, in this league and particularly on the defensive and offensive line. I mean, look at what happened to San Francisco. They got decimated with injuries on their defensive line and they were still a really good defense. Why? They had guys like Hyder laying around who are really good football players. So this, yeah. this defensive I mean, that's, line that's why Hyder got a, got an opportunity last yeah. year. Nick Bosa gets hurt. Solomon Thomas gets mm-hmm. hurt. And there you go. Yep. So this is, this is a really good group. I think this is a good group. Again, I think it's better than it was at any point last year. And I, I'm projecting a little bit with Taylor. Um, who knows, right? And that's still a question, but I think it's better right. than it was last year. And that's a big part of the reason why I'm so bullish on this offseason. The Hyder and Mayoa signings are um, the fact that they happen like 20 minutes apart or were announced mm-hmm. 20 minutes apart. Um, it, it's, it's, it's funny to see Seahawk fans, or I should say not all Seahawk fans, but it's funny to see some Seahawk fans not have something to complain about right now because this is kind of the icing on the cake. Um, wait and happens. Wait, wait and see what happens when they sign Carlos Dunlap or they sign Richard Sherman or they sign Jadavion Clowney or Alden Smith. And I mean, it, it, the, the off season is already a success. And uh, obviously there are some other moves, some positions, wide receiver three. I would like another edge, another Leo type. But as of right now, it, it, they're crushing it. And, and these two signings together, for half of what you would have had to pay Carlos Dunlap, it's it's a bargain. Yeah. And also, you know, you might be able to, uh, if you don't come to an agreement with KJ Wright, maybe Daryl Taylor's an option at Sam uh, to get him on the field more. Uh, he's played in some coverage at Tennessee. That could work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there's definitely... You can Mayola's see play. how these pieces start to fit together, yeah. right? And you can see how they can still add. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, again, if they add Dunlap, uh, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe it comes to a point where they have to choose between KJ Wright and Carlos Dunlap. Honestly, I'm probably taking Dunlap because you look at the rise of Jordan Brooks. I mean, really, how much is KJ Wright or Brooks going to play opposite um, Bobby Widener? How how often are the Seahawks going to have three linebackers on the field? Because now that Marquise Blair is healthy, they're going to run those nickel packages more often um, with Blair on the field, you know, obviously depending on how, how they match up with you know, the offense, but um, that's just bound to happen. That's what their plan was last year. And now, you know, I think you get Dunlap in there, to rotate with with Mayoa, Leo, and you know, obviously you can give uh, Daryl Taylor some some uh, opportunities there as well. But maybe you get Taylor on the field as a Sam, and you look really. I mean, there's 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 a lot of cool things you can do with that. Um, I thought it was particularly interesting that, uh, you know, pretty much right after the after Hyder signed, a uh, couple people in, in the Seattle media. Um, I assume had heard uh, from from people with the team that uh, Hyder's going to be the five tech 
uh, on this defense. Um, strong side, uh, five tech, strong side defensive end uh, on this defense. He, in his two uh, best years, 2016 uh, with the Lions, um, which preceded a you know a awful Achilles injury uh, the next year, and that's kind of what derailed his career up to uh, his time in San Francisco. Uh, and in San Francisco under Robert Sala, he was primarily a Leo. Um, so kind of interesting that he, he, they are not going to have him at Leo despite his success there. Um, and more so work him off of the right side. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but it seems like his, uh, his size should play well at the, uh, at the big end spot. Um, yeah. And I, I, I definitely think that it's an upgrade over, what they had there with green and collier because both of those guys so far have not lived up to expectations collier did have a much better season uh last year um than i think many people expected but he's still Mm -hmm. nowhere close when you know the first round type of talent that you know you were hoping to get out of him and rasheem green has Flashed, flashed at times yeah. yeah he is really flashed he i mean he led the the team in sacks in 2019 for you know whatever that really counts for because they, they were awful <laughs> at getting to the quarterback in 2019 but um you know i, I it was it, it was one of the more um underrated needs of the seahawks to get better at that spot I think it was yep. when you really look at it, you look at how Hyder fits. I think you make an argument that it was incredibly necessary. And, you know, if what you've speculated here and what Corbin speculated that uh, you can move LJ Collier inside full time and pair him up with uh, Puna Ford and trade Jaron Reed and get more cap space that way and continue to build this roster. I think you absolutely do that. And I think, you know, for, for all those reasons and, you know, for, I mean, gosh, Hyder had the best season of his life last year. He's only 29. He turns 30 in May. uh, So he'll play the season uh, at the age of 30, but he had eight and a half sacks and 55 pressures last year. And he wasn't even expected to start. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and he does that in a similar defense to Seattle's under Robert Sala and you only get him for three and a quarter million dollars annual salary. And that's probably going to be even less of a cap hit in 2021 because you have the voided third year. I mean, (laughs) you know, you want to talk about value with Chris Carson. This may be the value Mm -hmm. of the offseason. It's honestly this yes or was it yesterday they signed or two days ago? Either way. It was um, yesterday. Yeah, it, it's it's a little reminiscent of the day that the Seahawks signed Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. Now, <laughs> Bennett and Averill are better players. Um, but I remember that day very clearly. It was right, I believe, right after uh, the Mariners had signed Robinson Cano. Um, and Chris Peterson was named the head coach of the University of Washington. So it was a very exciting time for me. Uh, or it was about a... <laughs> No, it was a year before. I'm sorry, I'm off, but whatever. Either way, that was a huge deal, and those were two bargains that you got on one- and two-year deals. And, I mean, well, again, 
Hyder is not Michael Bennett in his prime, and Mayo is certainly not Cliff Averill in his prime. But, you know, you got two of them, and Bennett was the five tech, and Averill was the Leo, and that's kind of what these two guys, the role they play. Bennett and Averill had never had, like, huge sack numbers. They were pretty solid, and, you know, last year Hyder had eight and a half. Mayo had six, I believe. Six and a half? Um, Six. Those are quality players that you got in a down market by waiting a couple of weeks and you got them for bargain prices. It's a little reminiscent of Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. Now, if those two guys are as good as Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, then they go up there with some of the best Schneider signings of all time. Maybe the best. Right. That being said, I don't think they will be, but you, you get what I'm saying here. It's a little reminiscent of that just because they signed two of them at the same on the same day and they're both, you know, you know, they both play similar positions to their to those counterparts. So I think it's possible Seattle got 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 a steal here. And, and I, I'm really bullish on Seattle's uh, defense. I was bullish going in. Um, but I like I said, I think the defensive line is better now than it was at any point last year. And they can still get better. So uh, I, I'm really interested to see how this rotation shakes out. And we should have a preseason to actually see how it works out. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean, shoot, uh, you add Carlos Dunlap to that. Whew. It's uh, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. I'm still Team uh, Alden Smith, but Dunlap would be great too. Yeah, Alden Smith would be awesome. I'd probably, honestly, I'm I'm probably with you there that I I prefer Alden over Dunlap, but Dunlap would be a lot of fun. I mean, again, he changed the face of this defense last year. Uh, they were at a point that not many defenses have ever been. Uh, at a, you know, I mean, that's a, a low I, point. And yeah, I, I think though, one of the things that people, for, I mean, it's, it's easy to point at him and say, that's the reason why. And he was a big reason right. why I'm not saying he's not, Yeah, but it also yeah. happened to coincide with Jamal Adams getting healthy. Yeah, It also happened to coincide with Benson Mayoa really taking off. And, you know, there's a little yeah. apple orange, you know, it, what came first, the chicken or the egg there did. Mayoa's play allowed Dunlap, or it was a Dunlap's play that allowed Mayoa. Well, Whatever. if you remember, Mayoa got hurt. Yep. Mayoa, Mayoa didn't play the first couple of games that Dunlap was there. Mayoa came back in week 11. And right. uh, and so Dunlap had been kind of... Uh, was week 11 the Cardinal game? The Thursday night Cardinal game? Uh, I said week 11 or week 12. I believe it was week eleven, because week because the the Cardinal game is when Dunlap really broke out onto the scene for the Seahawks. Obviously, he had yeah. the big sack at the end of the game to seal the win uh, on Kyler Murray. Honestly, I I kind of so think, I think it does. I I think it does kind of coincide. I think the the Mayo yeah. success does kind of coincide with with Dunlap's arrival. Sure. By the way, Quandre Diggs also started to play a lot better. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know. So again, DJ Reed know. broke out. Yep. He yep. was inserted himself into the starting lineup, basically. Jordan Brooks played more often. Yep. He was selling. Yeah, this, yeah. this, the defense, like a lot of players magically got better around the time Carlos Dunlap showed up. Was that because of Carlos Dunlap or was it because Quandre Diggs finally learned to trust Jamal Adams? Was it because DJ Reed was locking down half the field? Was it because, you know, uh, Vincent Mayo was back healthy? Jamal Adams was coming off the, the, the edge like a maniac who was finally healthy. Like, so I think it's a little too easy to say, oh, well, Dunlap sure. did all that. Like it, it, sure. it's, it's probably a lot more than that, but um, it, it's hard to deny, you know, he flashed hard. And I, I think there was a little bit about, 
I think there was a little David Ortiz to Carlos Dunlap in that it always seemed that his sacks came at huge opportunities. You talk about taking down Kyler, right? Um, you know, it just it just felt like whenever he got to the quarterback, it was a big sack. It was on third down or it was in the fourth quarter late when a team was driving. Um, but also his pass deflections. Yeah, and yeah, they, they all seemed to come at big times. But it, it didn't seem like consistent. It felt like, you know, that he would show up like seven plays a game. And oh boy, were they great seven plays. But the other, you know, 50 snaps or so, you're just kind of like, uh, is he out there? Yeah, there he is. Like, so I don't know. I, I think I think we give the arrival of Dunlap a little too much credit for the Seahawks turnaround. Sure. But the correlation is, I mean, it, it, I, it's easy to see why people would assume that that's the case because the correlation is, is almost, you know, point for point. So yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Definitely possible. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. So I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, mm-hmm. We're at an hour 20, uh, but I think this was a pretty, pretty solid first episode. This is probably, this probably went a lot better than our first episode of CTZ. Uh, definitely a lot better than uh, the first ever re- episode we recorded of the uh, Soto Mojo podcast way back when. Um, probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you guys so much. If you, if you listened all the way, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Gonzalez, D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z. You can follow Colby at CPAT11, C-P-A-T-11, one one. So uh, you can check us, uh, our, our Mariner stuff out at Control the Zone on Twitter or at TrueToTheTrident.com. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon and hear us talk more about the Mariners, uh, that's at Patreon.com forward slash Control the Zone. Um, this, uh, podcast, as far as I'm aware, is going to be free forever. Uh, so you guys don't have to worry about that being hidden behind a paywall. But, uh, if you do want to support us, uh, if you really like what we, uh, uh, what we have to offer or whatever, um, check out the Patreon. Um, and if you're, if you're a Mariner fan, we, we talk about the Mariners twice a week on there. We also host a uh, live show on YouTube called CTZ live. Uh, and that uh, airs every Friday uh, around noon Pacific time. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Colby, any closing thoughts before we jump off of here? Uh, no, sir. Um, we're not 100% sure on a schedule. Maybe it's weekly. Maybe it's whenever there's something to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. We're not sure on a schedule. We're not sure. We don't have an opening yet. Hopefully we will soon. Um you know, we'll kind of see how we'll kind of play this one by ear. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get some guests every once in a while. That'd be fun. Uh, so yeah, this is, it's kind of a grand experiment for us. I hope you guys liked it. Um, you know, if you didn't, that's fine too. Uh, but, uh, if you did, you know, find us on your, uh, whatever, whatever platform you're listening to us on, leave us a nice review if you can. Uh, it would help us out a lot and uh, we'll just see how this thing goes for us Uh, it's fun to have a place to talk about the Seattle Seahawks without um, you know our our patrons and by our patrons I mean like four of them getting upset when we decide to talk about the Seahawks so um, (laughs) it's just fun you know it's something else we talk about we enjoy every Seattle sports team Um, so it's fun to talk about that um, and a nice change of pace sometimes. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the maiden voyage of the Check Fifty podcast seemed to uh, seem to go pretty well. So, thank you guys. I hope you like it. 
and uh, let us know. All right. Well, for uh, Colby Patnode, I'm Ty Gonzalez. This has been Chuck 50. We'll uh, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.